Welcome to X Chateau. X Chateau. The podcast that navigates the business of wine with unique perspectives and insights. With your host, Robert Vernick and Peter Young. Welcome to this episode of X Chateau. Today, our guest is Eric Levine, founder and CEO of Seller Tracker, which is obviously one of the great places people can use to track their sellers, but also harness the wisdom of a community tasting a wide ray of almost any wine on the planet. Eric, welcome to the show. We're looking forward to chatting with you. Excited to be here. I was wondering if you'd give Peter and I a brief overview of your background and why you started Seller Tracker. Sure. So I'm basically a tech geek who turned into a wine geek. I worked at Microsoft for about 13 years from 1992 until 2005. And my last project, everyone has seen it. When you used to crash and it would pop up and say, send error report, don't send. I was the (laughs) co-inventor of that. Spent about six years building different mechanisms to get data about software failure and usage. The same time I started that project in 1999, I went on a bicycling trip in Tuscany and in a nutshell, just totally fell in love with wine. So I came home and two bottles in the basement turned into 20 turned into 200, turned into 700. And so I decided to build a tool to just let me keep track of both what I had in my cellar, but also the things I was tasting. And then the last part of that was I let a couple of friends use it. And then I realized that, oh, wow, three people could be 300 or 3000 or whatever. I saw the potential for sort of a broader network effect. And so originally was it Excel that was then networked or was it already more of a robust database? What was the original structure? The very beginning was just my own personal spreadsheet turned into a more relational database. The basic problem I found is when I was looking at wine software is it seemed like most seller management software was built by someone who either knew a lot about wine and very little about databases or knew a lot about databases and very little about wine. And so I didn't like the trade-offs that I had seen people make. So I decided to build something for myself. I worked on Office for 12 of my 13 years. So you know that you have a saying, if you have a hammer, the world looks like a nail. So as a productivity tools guy, I was like, I can do this for wine. When did you realize there was like a huge need for this software, that it was that more than just you and a handful of friends wanted something that you were offering? There was literally the initial epiphany, like the day after I got the two friends on there, I immediately could feel that there was the potential for something bigger. What I didn't know is, was this a hobby and or how big was this? And keep in mind also, I built this when I was out on sabbatical from Microsoft. And so I went back to my day job. And as I was building this, in my day job, I was dealing with a software category where literally a billion people use Office, about half of them pay for it. And so I knew this was a very, very niche software category, but I could also tell, hey, there's tens or hundreds of thousands or maybe millions of people who would want to use or could benefit from something like this. And so that was between March and July of 2003 was as I was figuring that out. And then when I went back to my day job, what I would do is literally I would just kind of take about one or two nights a week and just stay up all night and write code which was never actually my day job at Microsoft, and add features. And so the community of people grew from three of us to 60 of us. And I launched it publicly about a year later, April of 2004, and then ended up leaving Microsoft about four months after that. So for our listeners who aren't familiar with Seller Tracker, can you give us a rundown of what it is, how it works, and how it's maybe evolved over time? Absolutely. So the core of it, and it's been very true to literally what it was from day one, is literally a productivity tool for a wine collector to catalog and manage every aspect of their wine experience, what they buy, what they consume, what they buy when they're out at a restaurant, what's in their cellar, if they 
go and taste wines and want to write down and record notes, you can track all of it. It's evolved. You can take pictures on your phone, etc. And so that's the core of this is this very sticky productivity tool that collectors use and wine curious people use to catalog and manage. And then the byproduct of that is this aggregated wisdom from a few hundred thousand of us, I think we'll get into metrics later, that millions are benefiting from where there are tasting notes and recommendations of when to drink. And so our broadest usage is people just typing the name of a wine into Google and we're one of the things that usually comes up. And so that's the broad usage of the platform is kind of like Yelp for wine in some respect. You mentioned taking photos of bottles on the app and we heard from Heine Zachariasen of Avino in episode 49 that it took him 10 years to get this right and to build out a database to really recognize all the different bottles. Is that something you were able to do on your own? And did it also take 10 years? Actually, I partner with Heine and Vivino on that exact problem. Oh, well, there you go. More shared wisdom. Why build it if you don't have to? But no, we partner in a few different ways. So it's been good. We serve, I think, different parts of the market. We're focused on collectors. They're focused on a really, obviously, broad market. They're a massive play. And so what are the most used features or functions in Seller Tracker? The most used thing are the tasting notes. So when you think about what Seller Tracker is, I'll start from the outside. About 10 million unique visitors a year coming to the website, looking at right now what are about 9.1 million notes generated by the community and growing the better part of a million each year. And so many people who use Seller Tracker don't even necessarily know that they're using it. It's just what comes up in their browser or on their phone as they're searching. When it comes to people who are then have registered and create an account and are managing their sellers, that runs the gamut. You know, it's a little like Microsoft Office. There's a broad array of tools, but mostly what collectors are looking for is what do they have? What's it worth? When do I want to drink it? What's too early? What's too late? What's right in its window? Our goal is to let people track with as much precision or, or if people just want to keep it very simple, they can do that as well. So that's the core of it, though. It's drinking windows, it's tasting notes, it's what wines are worth, and it's when should I drink them. Is that another partnership you have for what wines are worth? I think we're probably going to talk later about the business model, but in general, what it is, is we have a bunch of features that are free. And then if you pay, you get some extra features. And that is the main premium feature is the ability to get an automatic appraisal. And so I partner with the Wine Market Journal, who's aggregating auction data and retail data from all over the world. And I overlay that on a huge amount of data that our communities generated on what they're paying and what they think wines are worth currently. And the drinking windows are from critics? The core thing that most people would see are actually just the aggregated wisdom of the community. You see the average that other people have entered and there's nothing formulaic. Like we could layer in formulas, you know, if the community hasn't like, hey, your average California cab is good starting at eight years and going for another 15. We don't do that. Everything is literally based on what the community's put in. And the basic idea is if you don't like the window that you see, you just update it and then you make the average a little smarter for everyone else. And so there's millions of those. We do have partnerships with about... 30 different professional publications, Berghound and Jancis and Antonio Galloni. And so for some of those who publish drinking windows, Jeb Dunnick also, we overlay those for the people who subscribe to those publications. We have a model where we know who's subscribed to what. It's like an API that you let Seller Tracker know that you have a subscription and then it pulls that data into it. So it's a one-stop shop. I can see all of my publications scores for that bottle. Exactly. We basically authenticate with the publication and then all of their wisdom is overlaid together with the community around reviews, drinking windows, so both professional and amateur reviews. For people who don't have publications, the drinking window is something that someone, when they enter a note, or is that something you scrape from the content of a tasting note in their individual reviews? People enter those explicitly. We have a bunch of tools and reporting to help people 
pace when they want to drink a wine. So when you think about a wine, the most simple thing is to know when do I want to start drinking it and when do I think it's going to go over the hill. And we even have a report called the Drinkability Report, or Ready to Drink is what it got renamed at some point, which basically calculates, okay, if I have 10 bottles of a wine and the window is 10 years, in concept, I might want to drink one a year. So it kind of shows you, are you ahead of pace? Are you behind pace? As an aside, this would fall under the category of surprising features it's the one feature that spouses of seller tracker users complain the most about because they're like, oh, my husband or wife loves it so much, but I kind of hate you because I can no longer just go and grab a bottle to drink. I have to take the one that's the top of the drinkability report. Generally, if someone puts a mature collection into seller tracker, a bunch of things are going to pop out as, oh man, you probably want to drink these down and get to work. And so some people get very obsessed with drinking them in the right order. Is there something in Seller Tracker that would surprise people at how often it's used? Beyond the drinkability report, I would say the two kind of coolest and nerdiest and fun features are number one, we have restaurant style wine lists. So you can take your own seller and you can print out a list. You know, people like to print out, like, I've got my own restaurant list, you know, Chateau Levine, and people come to dinner and you pick the wine for dinner. And I think the biggest sort of surprise and delight feature, and then the geekiest one, and this sort of goes to the more OCD side of me is that if you attach the right sort of thermal printer to your computer, you can print out unique barcodes for every single bottle in your collection and physically barcode each bottle. And so you can track every single bottle and scan them out with your smartphone or use a dedicated scanner. So hyper geeky, but like in my personal collecting history, I'm at more than 11,000 bottles in and out of my cellar across the last 18 years. And I've had like three discrepancies total mostly because I barcode everything and I track it religiously. And that's with moving a few thousand bottles to Switzerland and back when we were living there. So I made a couple mistakes, but I did okay. I don't know if it's shocking or not, but I've actually been witness to both of those things for only one person for each of those things and different people. But I did think that restaurant list was pretty cool. I was like, oh, this is neat. <laughs> I can do that. And the scanning thing, I was like, how did they do that and set that up? <laughs> I wasn't quite sure how they did that. Yeah, yeah, no, it's fun. I have a question. The barcode would be unique just to my specific bottle, or is it unique for that wine in Seller Tracker for everyone? There's different kinds of barcoding we let people do. And I'll try not to go too deep because I'm a super geek. But basically, the default barcode is a unique ID for each specific bottle. So if you have a case, each of them is going to have its own ID. If someone else scans a bottle with your barcode, they'll actually end up on just the generic page for that wine. We have some restaurant features and some restaurant customers. Well, I mean, a few thousand actually on the platform. And the default barcode for them would be sort of the same barcode for every wine of a particular size, a little more generic, like kind of like a UPC. We also let people scan UPCs and EANs. Got it. Makes sense. So talking about Seller Tracker in terms of the user base, I'm curious on today, how big is the Seller Tracker user base? So I already mentioned the broadest thing is sort of the collective internet is about 10 million unique people per year. We have about three quarters of a million who've ever registered on the site and more than 300,000 that we believe are really actively tracking their sellers right now. I'm curious on another metric in terms of like the number of wine reviews that get uploaded on a daily basis or weekly basis. Is that something you guys track? We do. And very peak times, it could be three or 4,000 a day. Typically, it's going to be a couple thousand a day is what we see about three quarters of a million per year on average. Other fun metrics of 4 million wines that the community has created, 135 million bottles in people's collective cellars, and about 9.1 million notes generated by the community, plus another 1.3 million from our professional partners. Wow. Obviously, there's not a clear-cut number of the number of wine collectors out in the world or even in the U.S., but I'm curious on what percentage of wine collectors do you think that use or are on Seller Tracker? We've actually been doing some research as we're trying to get a little more sophisticated and better understand 
the markets that's out there. And what we see is about 18 million people just in the U.S. who are storing wine in their home or in a refrigerator. We have about 10% awareness amongst that group and somewhere between 5 and 10% if you extrapolate internationally actually using Seller Tracker actively. So still a lot of room to grow, really just scratching the surface. That's awesome. So you clearly have a treasure trove of data and you run a lot of metrics on it. Do you do any data analytics with it all? We do have a treasure trove of data. We know some metrics. The reality is just hired my first data scientist. He started about six weeks ago. And I think he's a wonderful guy. He's looking at this treasure trove, as you say, and he's just like, this is cool. Because the reality is we haven't done a lot with it to date. And so beyond knowing sort of big aggregate numbers, our goal really is how do we help each individual user of the platform actually leverage that data to figure out what they're going to like and when they should enjoy it, et cetera, both for the people managing their sellers and also for the broader community who are looking to us. So frankly, we're just scratching really at the tip of the iceberg right now, but that's a huge area for us going forward. I have so many ideas and other things that I've done that we can probably talk about a different time. The user rating is a powerful piece of data that others do, like Vivino, as we talked about, and others. But Seller Tracker is probably the original crowdsourced score for wine. Do you have a sense of how that score has been used within your community or even outside of it? We know an awful lot of people do look at the score. I think going beyond the score, I think what's unique and special about Seller Tracker is if you actually read the notes, the people using Seller Tracker generally have collections, they're going to tastings, they write a lot. And you especially can sort of target particular authors and say, I'm a fan of that person and start to see more filtered views of all the data that's there that are more personalized to you. And I think what we're doing to date is a little primitive on that front, but that's, I think, where the real potential is, is to take 9 million notes and really dial them into your preferences. But I think today, generally speaking, you know, when people are looking for particularly an older wine at auction, we're really one of the only sources of data that's out there. And so that's why people, we believe, are coming to us. They're doing research on wines that they want to buy or are interested in or figuring out when to drink, and we are where they end up. Have you done any comparisons with like professional scores or ratings? We haven't. I'd say the most interesting thing is some other data scientists did a really interesting article on Medium. Richard Bazinet, B-A-Z-I-N-E-T. I don't know him. He's just a user of the platform. And this was published in 2016. And he did a very detailed analysis comparing community ratings to different professional publications. And it was really pretty fascinating. So I'm excited to have my first data scientist. I imagine a world where we actually have a team of such folks to really start to do more here. Because again, I think for a long time, Seller Tracker was just me. And now we're really starting to build out the team. And have you compared it at all? I know there are more different markets, but the scores with the Vino scores? We have not really at all. They use the sort of more simple five-star rating system. And we've stuck with sort of the Parkerized 100-point scale. You obviously can translate them, but we just, again, first in-house data scientists who started six weeks ago. So it'll be fun to figure that out. But I think our goal, again, is how do you use that wisdom from the community to help people make the decisions that work the best for them? What's interesting for me personally is that as a collector enthusiast, I look and I love to drink aged wines, right? And so I use Seller Tracker when I'm buying something with age on it to really kind of understand where it's at because a lot of the professional reviewers are only current release. I mean, some people go back and do retrospectives, but it's few and far between. There's just so many wines that are coming on the market that they have to taste through. But Seller Tracker gives me that insight. In many ways, you've created essentially like the first wine influencer site where I actually follow and want to see notes from specific people who I've come to appreciate their take on wines for specific regions or in general. And so I'm curious, what are your thoughts on those creators, those people who are actually 
quite prolific at actually writing a lot of that content. They must add a lot of value to Seller Tracker, but how does Seller Tracker see those writers and those contributors and do they do something for them? It's a really interesting and insightful question, which is, you know, Seller Tracker in many respects, I think we want to envision as a platform, including for influencers and authors. And so, for example, Jeb Dunnick actually started as someone managing his own seller and writing tasting notes on Seller Tracker, then created his own publication and then went over to the Wine Advocate, etc. And obviously now he's doing his own thing again. We have never actually specifically built features into the platform for influencers. It's an interesting area to look at. I would say one of the things we tried not to do when I started this, gamification was a really huge trend. And there were early competitors to Seller Tracker. This is 2004, 5, and 6 who were trying to do badging and different things to get people to write lots of notes. And, you know, our attitude was, look, first and foremost, this was a productivity tool. And I would rather have fewer notes and not create artificial incentives for people to... Spamming the platform is too hard, but I didn't want to sort of have people like, oh, I'm going to get to my 10,000 or whatever it is. It happened organically that people use the platform. It was a good way for them to publish information and get it out there easily and conveniently for them. I think it's an interesting area for us to think about as we grow and build the community. Should we do more there? Can we be more of an actual platform for influencers? One of the other things I love about the notes or the database, actually, is probably more accurate, is that it kind of starts from the country and drills into the Appalachian in a very clean way. And it's probably the best wine database that I've seen that actually can factor in the number of layers that is required, but not over in excess or too few, right? But I have to imagine that there is some inaccuracies in terms of people having duplicates with a slightly different name. And I'm just curious, and what are your thoughts on terms of cleaning up that data and finding those missteps? Or when new appellations or, or appellations are changed, how do you update that data? Is that something you guys actively work on? It's super active. I've got now four people where this is what they do, part-time and full-time curate. So in essence, you've got a database of 4 million distinct wines. And this was all created by the community, but I've had someone working for me since 2005 where this is all he does is curate, look for duplicates or people will report errors and he folds it together and does the research. Here's the best analogy I can think of. If you have a garden, there's going to be the big plants that you want. They're beneficial. You nurture them. But there's always going to be little weeds and things popping up. And some of them may be good and they're valid. And some of them may be, you know, no, 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 that's a, that's a dupe. And you have to just sort of prune and coalesce and merge them together. And so it's never ending. I think what we try to do is have most people, generally speaking, not create wines, just search and find the wine that almost all the time is there and or use both automation and humans. This is also where I'm excited about the data scientist. You know, if someone is creating a wine to have smarter and smarter dupe detection to say, hey, are you totally sure? Because it looks like there's these two wines that look an awful lot like the thing you're creating. I think what most users do today is if you go and you search and you see a couple things that look like dupes, you'll see one that has tons of bottles, tons of tasting notes, and one that has almost no data. And so people will gravitate to the more populated wine. But basically, it's a never-ending problem, but it's one that we've managed to keep under control pretty well. Well, and some of the producers aren't helping by having all those different labels or different bottlings with slightly different names that aren't super obvious, even from the photo capture perspective. That's the fun of wine, right, is the absolute endless diversity. And, you know, part of our goal is how do we celebrate that diversity, catalog it really precisely. We're super wine geeky, but at the same time, not overwhelm people with that and try to strike the right balance. So you mentioned you left Microsoft shortly after launching Seller Tracker, but Seller Tracker is a donation-based business model. Why did you end up going that direction? Donation implies like nonprofit and, you know, Seller Tracker is distinctly a for-profit business. So I always use the term voluntary payment, which again, I started what now is called a freemium business model before that even had a moniker. 
the basic idea is, look, anyone can sort of build a better mousetrap. The value of Seller Tracker is the currently active community and all of the data that they have already created and continue to create. And so we wanted to make a business model that celebrated that and recognized that whether or not someone pays us a subscription and thinks it's worth paying for, even just by using it, creating a wine, putting a drinking window, logging a purchase, they are creating data that makes the platform better for everyone else who's currently using it. And so in the early days, as I was competing against Vintrust and Vinfolio, dozens of other different things, I recognized that I needed something that would help build critical mass of that community. And because for me, as one person sitting in a coffee shop writing code, that wasn't my day job at Microsoft, that the bulk of the value had to come from the community. So that's why the voluntary payment model, and we've stuck with it because it fits the spirit of what we're doing, which is it's giving people the ability to share their impressions of wines openly with the community and give the community the ability to see that openly. And it's not behind a Reggie wall or a paywall. It's out there for everyone. What is the average voluntary payment? I think you have a suggested amount, but is it much higher than suggested? And does that vary by country? Yeah, so our model is, it's voluntary as to whether or not you pay, number one. And number two, this is where our model is a little weird. We suggest what you should pay based on the size of your collection. So we recommend $40 a year for people with sellers under 500 bottles. We recommend $80 a year if you're between $500 and $999, and then $160 a year if you're above. So people literally, there are people who pay thousands of dollars a year. The lowest we'll take for a full year is $20. I think we're averaging about $57 a payment right now. And we've changed the suggestion, the recommendations over time, and some people stick with what they're comfortable with. That's a little odd for some people, but you know, it's, it's what we did. It seems to work. It's like going to the Met. <laughs> you know, you pay what you think it's worth. Are there other revenue streams for Seller Tracker? Any like referral income or advertising or things like that? We do some ads, although we don't show them to registered users and we've never put them in our app and ads are ads. We send a lot of traffic to Wine Searcher. We've been in their affiliate program for many years. I've even heard them say that we send more traffic to them than every website in the world combined other than Google. Wow. So we're like the number two. Obviously, Google is the biggie. So we have some affiliate models there. And so we do some ads, some clicks. We have other partnerships where if people want to sell wines from their collection, we can drive them to a partner for that. We're not in the commerce business. We stay out of that. But mostly it's the subscriptions. That's our core thing. And do you think this business model will evolve over time or do you think it's got a lot more runway? We want to both honor the business model. I really think it was the best decision I ever made, this sort of voluntary model and how it honors the community. And so I think we will always have some flavor of that. You know, my long-term goal is I want Seller Tracker to be here 30, 40, 50 years from now. When I think about the collectors and the sheer amount of time and all of the data they've put on the platform, we have to honor that and make sure it is still around as long as they're around. And so we are trying to figure out actively, okay, how do we grow this business and make sure it thrives and is here for the long haul? So there are, I think, innumerable ways to figure out other ways to grow the business, whether by working with business partners, other parts of the wine ecosystem, or even the broader set of consumers. So I mentioned 10 million people came to the site last year. We don't know a great deal about who they are. We don't give them a good particular reason to register. We don't get their emails. We don't continue a conversation. And so for us, we see the opportunity to touch a much broader set of the many millions of people out there who collect wine or are passionate about wine and find ways to deliver value for them and then figure out how to use that to build the business as well. I'm curious on the breakdown between computer and the app for seller tracker usage, because I'm much more of a computer user, but I have the app. This is not something I go to as frequently as I do going to the website. 
So the most amazing thing is how, especially for the collectors who are using the platform to manage their seller, and that encompasses the app, the website, etc. What's amazing is how dynamic they are in terms of their shifting use of different technology depending on the day of the week. You know, everything in Solar Tracker is cloud hosted. Everything is in one database. And the app that we have and any web browser you log into, everything is just going to that same cloud set of data. So for the longest time for our seller management users, what we see is the heaviest usage during business hours on weekdays of Windows desktop browsers. We see in the weekday evenings and afternoons, we see more tablet e-usage and much more Mac usage and Apple ecosystem usage. And then in the evening and more in the afternoons and weekends, almost all mobile. So it reflects, some of this is pre-COVID, obviously it reflects when people are around and managing their sellers, when they're at work, and then when they're going to restaurants or going to wine shops, things like that. So we see people shifting across the same device many times in a given week. In general, there's been a massive shift to mobile for the broader traffic over the last 10 years. And I will say our current mobile app is a good adjunct to the website. It still is dated. It's slow. It is built around, and my marketing person would be like, oh my God, what are you doing? But like, we know we can do better. We're in the middle of a total overhaul of that, focused on more modern, more powerful, bigger form factor devices, faster, more use of offline and ultimately parity with everything in the website because we're seeing more and more people that are phone only and it's just not as good of an experience today as it can and should be. I'm a tech geek, so I'm happy to be super self-critical. I'm like, you know, yeah, this part of what we do sucks, but we know we'll do better. Part of being a product owner is to be able to make it better. You got to critique it first. Does Seller Tracker have any connectivity or interaction with wineries? We don't have any formal programs. It's interesting. We know there's a lot of wineries who look at the data on the platform, and we've had more and more contact from wineries. And I think it's especially interesting when you think about the last year and a half and what wineries have done to increase engagement with consumers during COVID. You know, you're seeing more of them doing Zooms and coming up with interactions. So I would say in general, one of our longer term things is to figure out, Cell Tracker was basically built by me as a tool for myself and some friends, and it kind of grew from there. But it's basically been an island, this sort of consumer island off on the side. And we don't have connections at scale as a platform with wineries, with importers, with distributors, with retailers. And yet we know that if we did that in the right way, that would ultimately benefit the consumer. So it would be magical if every time I bought wine, regardless of where I bought it, it was automatically populated in my cellar. Just lower that friction. The other thing is we know in aggregate much more than most wineries about, okay, you've sold this wine, it's sitting in someone's cellar. What age do they drink it at? When do they tend to drink first, et cetera? And I know that wineries have reached out. They are very interested in better understanding consumer usage patterns, which at scale and aggregate, we're super hardcore about privacy and not crossing lines like, say, other social media companies might do. Not wine companies, but just social media in general. But we know that wineries are very interested in the bigger picture of what's going on. And wineries are also very interested in understanding what they view as their competitors and competitive brands and what's happening. So we have a lot of that data. So we're very interested to figure out, is there an offering we could build out, not only that they would find valuable, but that actually would bring wineries to the platform at scale in ways that would be really beneficial for the consumer experience. I'll finish with one anecdote. We know there are wineries that have been interesting threads unlike wine berserkers. We know wineries, smaller wineries, really read the reviews. And I see winemakers who register on Seller Tracker. And if they see someone post a note about a wine that looks negative and they know the wine, they're like, oh, that's got to be corked. That was off. And they'll post a comment and they'll say, hey, get in touch with us. We want to get you a replacement. That would be a scenario that at scale, I think, could help the industry be in better touch with their consumers where everybody benefits. That was the example I was going to bring up in terms of what we heard from 
wine berserkers was that a lot of wineries were quite active in their forums and responding to it in a constructive, positive way. Like they want to hear what that active community has. And I just assume that the seller tracker community is just as valuable, if not more valuable than the wine berserker one. And I'm curious though, as a winery, I would want to know like, when are people drinking my wines or how many are actually outstanding? What are wines that are coveted? So if I do seller library releases or what else do people own that are similar price point regional wines so I can understand who my comparables are? There's that. There's also even if you're the winery, you are tasting and retasting many of these wines all the time. And maybe you published once upon a time a drinking window on your site. But clearly we would want the wineries to be sort of the primary source of wisdom around when to drink something and to be able to say, wow, this vintage of this thing is drinking really well right now. Or this one, please wait, wait, wait. It's not where it should be right now. And to have them be part of the conversation. But in a way, I do recognize that you know, many wineries in particular for sort of smaller, more collectible wines, they're super busy. They're artisan farmers. And so one more platform for them to manage and worry about is probably a headache. So how can we come up with interaction points that work well for everyone, that are additive for everyone and help both the consumers and the wineries and us? So Seller Tracker was almost one of the early social media type of things with people putting tasting notes and interacting with each other. Did this come about as part of its origin and naturally, or did you add it in later? You know, it's a little bit of both. I was cutting my teeth as a collector. I mentioned it was a trip to Tuscany in 99 was where I kind of really had my sort of breakthrough moment. But then I found the Robert Parker bulletin board and a bunch of other bulletin boards sort of in the 2001 to 2003 era. And so I was seeing a lot of online wine discourse from collectors on bulletin boards. And so it both instructed for me the ability to create structured points of interaction that would be beneficial. But also you see on a lot of bulletin boards and social media, things kind of go off the rails sometimes. But so it made me cautious about how much interaction I wanted to allow. And then along the way, you know, Facebook and other things were born. And so we created different models, like being able to tag people whose notes you see saying you're a favorite or now saying you're a fan of them. So you could start to tailor your view of the notes towards that. So, you know, we're not full-blown social media. You know, the main interaction you have is People see the notes from other people on wines in their collection. And again, all of the data around drinking windows, they're interacting with community valuations if they're paying for that. And then we introduced over time the ability for people to thumbs up or thumbs down a note if it was helpful and to comment. And so we've seen varying levels of engagement on that, but we've always tried to keep the dial turned so that if someone starts to go a little Rambo and get destructive, they can be blocked easily and the platform doesn't spin off the rails. And I don't know that we would ever want to be a full-blown sort of social media interactive platform. I think the major players are so big these days. I think the bigger opportunity is probably how do we plug into those platforms in a way that brings networks together, I guess. But we focused on, again, sort of more narrow structured interactions. Some people just don't want to touch that at all and some totally welcome it. Do you know about how many people actually write tasting notes or comment on other people's notes? It's a couple hundred thousand people have written tasting notes. You know, it's basically roughly half of the active collectors write public tasting notes. Now, what's interesting is behind the scenes, when you drink a bottle from your seller, you can record a private note, what we call a consumption note. And just anecdotally, we see almost everyone will record those, not all the time, but some of the time. You know, the basic idea of a tasting note, like not everyone is going to be Robert Parker or or Miles from Sideways and, you know, spouting off dozens of descriptors. But think of the tasting note in the simplest thing. You know, was this pleasurable? What did I have it with that I decant it? And is it ready too soon, too late kind of thing? The idea is if you write a note 
that upon further reflection would be helpful for you yourself in your own collecting and journey, it probably is going to be useful for the community as well. So we've tried to gently encourage people to do that. But as I said earlier, haven't gamified it or pushed it really hard. But we think that part of a user journey we do want to encourage over time is to help people gain more confidence. And writing about your own experiences, I think, is one of the best ways to learn and to further your own exploration. That is what this is all about, right? Like exploring and appreciating the sheer majesty and fun and diversity of wine, right? I think that's why we're all here. One of the great things that I noticed on the tasting notes is that we're in a couple of tasting groups and one of our tasters is very prolific, putting everything in the seller tracker, but he will tag the event with the date and give it a name. And then we can see what the rest of us thought about that wine at that time. I really love that fact that I can drill into a tasting to see what wines were tasted and also what other people said about those wines at that time. It's a really beautiful feature that doesn't exist anywhere else that I've seen. Yeah, that tasting event, or we renamed it at one point, tasting story feature where you can basically take a series of notes and group them together, put them in flights, and you can add metadata around, okay, what foods were paired with this flight or have sort of flight level reflections. But the nice thing is when you're on the page for that wine, you just see that note, not encumbered by all this data, but there's that nice link so you could pop out and see the context. It is a super, super geek feature, even beyond the other ones we've already mentioned. I haven't seen that elsewhere. This kind of segues into my next question around, how does Seller Trucker differentiate itself against other seller management softwares? I mean, everybody seems like they're adding this from any storage facility to Vino itself to even stores are popping this up. What are the key differentiators for Seller Tracker as a seller management tool? So number one, first and foremost, really hardcore focus on the scalable needs of collectors in terms of the productivity they would want to track and manage their catalog with the precision that they want to both let them keep it simple or let them really super geek out. I've talked to a bunch about different examples of that. I had a guy who was helping to build Office for 13 years, and so we kind of went deep on a bunch of things. I would say in general, what distinguishes Seller Tracker is because it is built around that productivity tool that really works and is really powerful, it's attracted a set of people who have a reason to keep coming back. You know, if you've spent a thousand hours cataloging your collection, then you drink a bottle or you go taste a bottle, you want to write a note, you want to mark it out of your seller, etc. And so people tend to stay more active and keep the data up to date. But it's also a fairly differentiated or authoritative audience because it's collectors and sort of more curious and geeky people. Tasting notes aren't often just, you know, tasted good with chicken, but it's someone really reflecting on a wine in a way that other people would hopefully find useful and insightful. So those are, I think, some of the differentiators, sort of seller management first and foremost as the core of the platform. And then really being focused on privacy, the needs of the community, uptime, stability, data integrity, all that stuff. I've had a lot of competitors who have come and no longer exist over the last 18 years. I was reflecting on this for our growing team as part of our journey. One last key thing is sort of neutrality. This started as a tool that's not affiliated with any one reseller. It recognizes that if you're a collector, you're going to buy wine from all manner of wineries and resellers, and we're not beholden to anyone. And frankly, as we get more ambitious and think to the future, our goal is how do we make this a platform to get all manner of different players, wineries, wine retailers in the industry, using it in ways that are first and foremost beneficial for that community of collectors, but are beneficial for all the parties. So sort of this Swiss neutrality in many respects. That's very consumer collector focused. Someone with a strong software development background, obviously when competitors come along, you got to look at them and see what is their unique selling proposition for a similar audience. Have you actually seen features that you're like, oh, that's a great idea and adopted those? And do you have any examples? 
I think one of the biggest ones, because if you back up to 2012, 13, 14, you went from Vivino to ultimately something like three dozen apps that all had using your phone for augmented reality, basically take a picture of a label and it telling you what was there. They've basically almost all of them gone away or been subsumed. But that was obviously a must-have feature. I mean, we chose to partner with Vivino around that rather than try to build something new. It's actually a super good question. Like, are there things that I saw elsewhere? I'm a little jealous there are sites that do a much nicer job of what I would call visual seller management, you know, letting you describe all of your racks and drag bottles around. We still haven't done that. There's a lot of users that would like us to do that. That's really hardcore seller management and visual seller management. I guess our biggest differentiator also has just been the community. That was the number one bet. Like, it was actually super weird in 2003 to build a piece of software where everything was in the cloud and where so much of the data was open to the community. And there were people who were like, what are you, nuts? And it's just like, it's okay, it's all right, it's not for you. Because people were doing that in spreadsheets or in dedicated software on their computer. But we have been of, by, and for the community from day one. And I think that's our differentiator. It's not just about the features, it's the collective power and wisdom of that community. And we have to honor that and earn and re-earn that trust every single day. As a person who has things tracked in a Google Sheet or Excel, do you guys enable that said consumer or collector who has stuff in a traditional thing and realizes it's too difficult to maintain? Do you have an easy way for them to just drop that into Seller Tracker? Have you made huge gains in terms of making that process easier for people? We do have a really easy process. It probably makes it about 10 to 15 times faster where you can send a spreadsheet. We have a standard template, but people send us things in all sorts of different shapes and sizes from every software platform imaginable. And I've got an employee where that's what they do. They help them get it into our tool. And then we sort of line up the wines to our catalog and then pull it all in. I'm actually really excited about the data scientist, you know, using machine learning to do a better and more automated job of the matching. We can do automated matching for most people of about 40 to 50% of the wines. I think we could probably get that to 70, 80, 90% and really make this super easy. We do the process the way we do it so that people can't mass pollute our wine database because the wine database is shared across all of the users. Most of what anyone would have on a spreadsheet is already there. So how do we match it? And it turns into trouble. You know, if someone uploads a bad spreadsheet and creates 500 dupes, then you know, my curation guy is going to shoot me tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not have that happen. We don't let them do that. <laughs> yeah, no, sorry, Andrew. So you recently sent a note to your community about the future of Seller Tracker and making a big push for investment in the platform. One of the things, as you mentioned today, was upgrading the mobile app, but there weren't a lot of other specifics around what you're planning or thinking about. Would you mind sharing what you're thinking of building and where your investments are going? Absolutely. So first and foremost, we're building a team. So, you know, literally from 2003 until 2012, Seller Tracker was basically me. I had Andrew who was helping with curation part-time, but I only did my first full-time hires in-house starting in 2012 and 2013. So at the start of this year, there were just three of us full-time working on the business. My goal is as of November 1st, knock on wood, I'm working on two more. We're going to be at 11 people by the end of the year. So that's a data scientist, it's more engineers, it's a UI designer. So first and foremost, building the team. We see a lot of opportunity to both upgrade and deepen the existing experience around core seller management, in particular the mobile app. It's themes we've talked about. We know there is so much data there that we just aren't doing enough with to let people harness for their own uses. Just think recommendations, et cetera, and sort of more automation of different scenarios. And I think some of the things I mentioned around industry connection, again, the dream scenario would be every time I buy wine, it's just populated in the platform. Like that technology there is not hard. Building it in the right way where you can get the right industry adoption is tricky. So those are all themes. And then the last broad theme would just be 
Again, I mentioned we just have so many people coming to the site each year. We don't know who they are. We don't really get their emails or tell them to stay in touch with us. And we would like to better understand more broadly what we call the research scenario. I recognize that there are many wine collectors who don't want to catalog and track every single bottle or where it's just too much work to do that. So we would like to figure out how to lessen those hurdles. But also, we know there are so many millions who are using us as a research platform. And so how do we really embrace and build specific apps and tools for those scenarios versus today what is really just a very horizontal database that you can search and get a whole bunch of data back and how can we be much more targeted? So those are the broad themes. But first and foremost, it's just getting the team on board so we can really start to innovate a lot more rapidly than we've been able to. And did you take on new investment or anything in order to invest in this team? I did bring on a small group of angel investors to help free me to really reinvest so much of the cash flow of what is a really nice business back into building out the team. So it's a model that gives me after 18 years the flexibility to really double down on the business. Mostly, again, I mentioned I came out of Microsoft and that was a very paranoid culture. You're always worried about who's someone who's going to come and kind of beat you up. And so I worry every day around like, am I serving Seller Tracker and the community well enough? And I think my focus and conservatism made a lot of sense over, say, the first 10 or 15 years of building this business because a lot of other players came and went as they were maybe too ambitious. But I think we reached a point where there's so much potential and I just haven't been doing enough with it. And so it starts with stepping back and recognizing what's the potential, what's the team we need to serve that, and now putting ourselves in a position to really start to innovate. Because again, I mentioned I want this to be around 30, 40, 50 years from now and true to its values. Eric, to wrap up the episode, we are curious, what are you most excited about in the world of wine over the next year or so? Beyond what I mentioned for Seller Tracker, I think in general, if you look back across the last year and a half in COVID, in many businesses, not just wine, you have seen a massive convergence moving towards online as people have been trapped at home, etc. I think in particular, if you look at the wine industry relative to other consumer industries and its usage of data and analytics, its usage of online, it is, I think, fair to say behind, maybe even a little Byzantine in, in many respects. And so the COVID sort of convergence opportunity, I think, for this industry is remarkable. I just think not to belittle anything that's happened to date or our efforts, which I think are good, but in some respects primitive, just the ability to use technology to make wine more accessible and help amplify people's passion is what I'm excited about. And I think we're seeing a lot of investor and institutional interest. I think we're seeing coalescing around particular technology platforms. You're seeing more sophistication and data. And my goal is to have Seller Tracker be a bigger part of that and an enduring part of both that, but also to then connect to the industry, to not just be an island. A number of broad themes. Those are great takeaways. The industry's made a lot of progress due to COVID, and hopefully we don't let our foot off the gas as we come out of COVID and go back to Byzantine ways. Byzantine is harsh, but yeah. It's a bit, a bit harsh, yeah. Eric, thank you so much for your time. Peter and I appreciate you kind of talking about what Seller Tracker is, how it was started, and, and also the future and where it's going. We really appreciate your time. My absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us. If you loved this episode of X Chateau, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, cheers.